Good afternoon. How many were here last Thursday? Were you able to uh, engage in your assignment? You do understand that one of the very obvious issues is that you didn't let go of your feeling, your unpleasant feeling. The first thing I'd like to get us a reference for is that it's only each moment. That's it. It's what we do in each moment, in each present moment. Uh, For those who were not here on Thursday, we were discussing dependent origination, causation. And we were discussing that the Buddha's teaching is to, when used, is to liberate us from suffering. Okay. So, the teaching tells us that we should understand suffering. We should understand suffering. Well, does that mean we have to experience it? No, if we understand it, we don't experience it. We won't experience it because we will realize its impotence. So the first thing it tells us is that there is an origin to suffering. And this origin should be abandoned. Okay. So it says suffering should be understood. And it talks about different experiences where people experience suffering. It talks about birth and sickness and death and old age not getting what one wants, losing what one does want, Um, lamentation, sorrow, despair. But in understanding conditioned reality or dependent origination, It's a, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm just beating up on this. Is uh, to understand that you are suffering and to understand how to abandon it. And abandoning suffering, we have to know what to do with what we think suffering is. So, in the book that we're studying on Tuesdays, on these days, by a psychotherapist called David Rico, one of the things that I find confusing, 
not confusing for me, but a possible confusing for others, is when the Buddha talks about feeling, he's not talking about emotion. He's talking about feeling. I like it. I don't like it. I'm neutral to it. When we talk about anger and rage and sorrow and lamentation, despair, depression, fear, we're talking about emotion. And the emotions arise when we've already started clinging and craving and attaching to the narrative. We're we're already in partnership with it. So when we understand the schematic of dependent origination, it says that with ignorance as condition, volitions come to be, thinking, speaking, and acting come to be. It says, with volitions as condition, consciousness comes to be. With consciousness as condition, the sense basis come to be. With the sense basis as condition, contact comes to be. With contact as condition, feeling comes to be. With feeling as condition, craving comes to be. With craving as condition, existence comes to be. Now, we discuss this by giving narratives about the schematic, giving examples of how we flesh out the schematic that we, that I just recited. And we talked about how with contact as condition, feeling comes to be. So I see something, I hear something, I taste something, I smell something, I feel something on my body, I think something. And with consciousness and object as condition, as expression, these three things make contact. And I have a feeling. I, I either don't like it, or I do like it, or it's neutral. Now, the next thing that happens in the sequence is craving or attachment. Meaning that not only am I having awareness that this is existing in my reality, but now I'm grabbing on to it. Now sometimes we ignore the fact that we're grabbing on to, holding on to our anger or our rage or our upsetness. Because our common sense, our wisdom says, why would I want to hold on to it? rage or anger or upsetness. Why would I want to do that? That's, that's crazy. But we do it because we feel we're justified, that we deserve to be able to be angry. It's righteous indignation. You know? They did that to me, so they deserve my ire. But our wisdom teaches us that When I am angry at you, the one who's feeling the anger is not you, it's me. 
So in other words, I'm, there was an expression, in one of the suttas they talked about, and I've never seen this directly attributable to the Buddha, but they said the Buddha's quote was, to be angry at someone is to take poison and expecting someone else to die. Right? So all of us who have ever entertained anger, who have ever embraced, held on to, attached ourselves to anger, know how bad it makes you feel. The sequence tells us in this schematic explains suffering from this perspective that when this is present this comes to be so when a when craving is a, is present when clinging is present I suffer. When this isn't present, suffering cannot occur. So, we talked about being able to realize that I'm in this state of suffering, I'm in this state of feeling uncomfortable, right? And we also talked about the fact that If, from the, from the aspect of meditation, from the aspect of mind training, we talked about the fact that what, we've, what we're learning to do is being skillful at the ability, developing the ability to move our consciousness to different objects. So, when we're practicing samadhi, when we're practicing concentration, we put our attention, our consciousness, on an object of our intention. We say, I want to focus on the breath, or I want to focus on my feeling, or I want to focus on the body. And we choose that. When we are distracted, when there's something else that comes into our vision, comes, to, comes and gathers our attention, we're, we're at some time in that daydream, in that distraction. We are aware of it. Well, I'm not focusing on my breath anymore. And we say, okay, I want to go back to my breath. And so that's what we do. We put our attention back on our breath. When we do that, the feelings that we are experiencing in our drama in our story goes away because we are no longer thinking about it. What we do not think about does not exist for us. You see, it only exists for us when we are making connection to it. Now here's an example because I know some of you are looking skeptical and saying, no, I don't believe that. That can't possibly be. But when we, 
When we're angry with someone, and then we are forced by life, by the moment, to pay attention to something else, that anger is not with us. That person who we're angry with is not with us. And we don't think about that person. It's only when I'm in my car later, maybe five minutes later, maybe a half, maybe a half day later, and I'm driving and I have a hole in my mind because I'm not really thinking about anything. That that episode, that experience comes back up again. And I feel the same feeling all over again that I felt on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Although it's only in my imagination. It's not real because it happened last Wednesday. It's not happening now. Nobody's arguing with me now. Nobody's calling me names now. But it feels real because I feel the same sensations that I felt when it first occurred. So that experience tells us how empty the experience really is. And all I have to do is to stop holding on to the experience that's causing me this distressful feeling and put my attention on something else, something pleasant. And we talked about it can be anything. It can be your granddaughter, it can be butterflies, it can be baby monkeys, it can be anything. But if I put my mind on something that creates a pleasant thought, and a pleasant feeling in me, that's what I will experience as long as I am attached to that object. Now what happens is, we're there, we feel a little better, but then that thought comes up again. I should have said this, I should have did this, I shouldn't have let them get away with that. Now I'm holding on again to an object that is creating an unpleasant feeling in me. And it will continue to occur as long as I hold on to that object. The escape from it is to abandon the clinging and craving that I'm engaged in. It says, suffering has an origin, and its origin should be abandoned. And what we learn by discussing this is we learn that it is not the experience that brings us our upsetness, our agitation. It's not the experience. It's not that. Because if it were that, it would only happen on the Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock that it really happened. You see? If it really happened that way. But it happens, we experience the same feeling, the same discomfort, the same anger, the same irritation, whenever we think about it. Is it real? No. It only exists in my mind. That's the only place it exists. It is not happening to me. It's in my memory. It's in my imagination. But it's not real. The person is not there. The person is not in my living room. The person is not speaking the words that they spoke not doing the things that they did. 
They're not there. But I find myself feeling the same feeling that I felt on that day, in that morning, when they said such and such a thing. All I have to do is remember something pleasant and put my mind on that. And then that will encourage, that will immediately create a pleasant feeling within me. I am no longer thinking about that thing that made me angry on Tuesday. So for me, that thing does not exist. In other words, we we know that downtown Hendersonville exists, but it only exists when we think about it. When we're here talking and doing something different, downtown Hendersonville doesn't exist because existence, reality, occurs, manifests through the sense gates. This is why we're learning to shut them down. This is why we're learning to guard them so that we are the gatekeepers of our sense gates. And we choose what goes in and what doesn't go in. And when we do that, when we are mindful of what goes into the sense gates, we then manipulate the reality of mind. It's that simple. Again, it's not easy, but it's that simple. Why isn't it easy? Because the things that we usually get angry about, upset about, depressed about, sorrowful about, usually has to do with mortality and survival. And we're wired to pay attention to that survival voice before we pay attention to the pleasing voice or the pleasure voice. Because we got to survive or, you know, we don't get another day. So we've got to listen to the voice that's telling us there might be a tiger in the grass. There might be a snake under that log. We're good at that. But the point is that that wiring, that survival mode, that reptilian brain was created for us when we were roaming through wild grass, when there were mammoth, woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers, you know, where, where everybody else had a club who wanted to hit you before you hit them. But that isn't necessary today. When was the last time you were beat up in the schoolyard by a bully? Probably some of you never. But we still worry about that. We still think about that. We still have a fear about what someone else is going to do to us. And as long as we think about it, it will be present in our reality. So, This is what we were discussing. This is how it works. And it says the cessation of suffering should be experienced. In other words, it's not
it's not like here's a technology that might work sometimes if you if you're oppressed by this particular emotion, but then there are some emotions that it just don't work for at all. No, it says if you're suffering, here's how to end it. Not sometimes, but it will work every time you work it. But you've got to work it. Or you wind up holding on to the thing that's causing you pain. And when it's said in the clearness of day, you go, man, that's crazy. Why would anybody hold on to what is creating pain for them? What is creating emotional instability for them? Why would they do that? So why would you stay angry again when the thing that made you angry happened last week? But we know people who stay angry for years, for a generation. They haven't spoken to a family member for 20 years. That's what we do. Because we don't understand suffering. So we do what we do that causes our suffering, and we blame it on the other person. You, if you hadn't, if you didn't, if you would have, if I had just gotten more hugs from you. So it's simple but not easy. But it gets easier as our confidence and our faith in the technique works and grows. The more we use it, the more we benefit from it, the more our wisdom voice says, hey, here's another chance to try that. <laughs> because trust me, you're going to get more time. You're going to get more chances. It's not your fault. You know, you're not you know, wearing a me <laughs> sign on the back. I don't know what I, why I keep hitting this. Well, I'll put it on the other side. You can but this is where the whole concept of mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness doesn't have any magic in its own. It just puts you in the right place to do what you got to do. If I'm daydreaming through my day, if I'm sleepwalking through my day, if I'm not right here where I am in my day, then I get assaulted by a lot of things and I don't even know where they're coming from. See? Because I'm not there with them. I'm someplace else. And I wonder why I feel the way I feel. And then it takes me that time to catch up with mental activity, mental proliferation, to recognize what I'm thinking about Oh, yes, I'm thinking about when that guy did this thing, or when that person did this thing, or when she said this, or when they did this. I'm thinking about that, and that's why I feel so lousy. But usually, in the psychotherapist world, 
They tell us to embrace our emotions, to stay with them, don't run away from them. Now, I agree not running away. I'm just saying put them down. You know, when I put them down and turn my back, I'm not running away. I'm just saying I don't want to carry this rock. And I don't want to throw it either. So I'm just going to put it down. You know, we we run away from our emotions, but at the same time we're dragging them with us because we have no intention of forgetting them. We run across town, and then when we're across town, we sit on the sofa and think about what we're running away from. Now, as long as I bring it up in memory, as long as I hold on to the image of it, I'm going to experience the same feeling, unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral, that I felt the first time I encountered that experience. And it'll stay with you forever. If you put your mind on it, you will reunite with it. You will re, 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 recombine to it. You will, you will remember it. So when I remember something, I'm putting things back together again. See, I'm reconstructing. But all you have to do is remind yourself, this is not real. It is not happening in my world. It is happening in my imagination. There is no one doing anything to me right now. Yes, Jim. The way I heard it, it was sounded almost involuntary that it came up, the remembering being angry or the incident. Then my next question was then why? I understand how to get out of it, but it seems involuntary that, you know, sometimes I'll remember stuff that happened a very, very long time ago. Then I have a choice whether to get into it or not. Right. But I'm often surprised where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. The question is then, why does, why do you think it keeps coming up? Haven't let go of it completely? Because we leave a space for it to come up. The deal is, the, the healing process happened when I realized that once I take this unpleasant experience out of mind and put it down, I've got a hole there now, right? That anything can go in and fill. But when I choose to be proactive and put a pleasant image in that same hole, then a whole other thing happens. And I've just been interested in the change process in how when space opens up, uh, I have an inclination to to be neutral, but that, that proactive filling it in with that pleasantness. Um, of loving kindness yeah. or compassion or altruism. Lots of things we can, we can pack that jam, that hole up with. But we don't. We don't. Yeah. We don't. But that's the process to fill that hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You remember when Pony Pony was talking the other day, something about how who sent those monks back? What did he tell them to say 
to ward off what they were afraid of. What did he tell them to say? He, he told them to keep saying this. Yeah, it was it was the meta sutta. It was so it was it was it was loving kindness to love love everything. In other words, if I promote the energy and the attitude that no matter what you do to me, now this this is the Buddhist teaching. This is this is the higher, well, I shouldn't say higher level because everyone can engage in it, but it's difficult to do. It's it's hard to love someone when they don't love you. And this is what you have to do in order to not be ambushed by the changes that occur in reality. So, in other words, the Buddha talked about suffering. He says, these are the things that cause people suffering. And how do I know that? Because I witness them. I see people grieving. I see people being sorrowful when they lose things. I see people getting angry when somebody takes something away from them. I see people do this when somebody does something to their kinfolk. So I know that this are opportunities for suffering to overwhelm people. He says, but this is the practice. The practice is realizing that everyone who loves you today may or may not love you tomorrow. So everyone in this room has had a relationship that failed. We say it failed because it's no longer, you know, it's no longer present. It's no longer the way it used to be. Yeah? So whether it was a partner or a friend, schoolmate, we all have this knowledge that says there is impermanence here. And just because someone loves me one day doesn't mean that they're going to love me the next day. And we all have examples of that whether it be on the side of the other person who doesn't love me anymore, or whether it be on my side because I don't love them anymore. But it's there. That impermanence is there. If I train to love people in spite of what they do, then I free myself from all vulnerability. Because it's going to happen. No doubt about it. It's going to happen. You know, we see that with the people that come through Hardwood. They love us one day, they want to be here one day, and then the next day they, they hate us. That's the way it works. Now, to get mad about that, to get even with that, is playing the game. It's clinging to the thing that happened three days ago that no longer is happening. But if I keep bringing it up, I will keep experiencing the same unpleasant feeling that I did the day that it happened. So I am attached to it. I am clinging to it. So we, we don't think that we're clinging to negative things. We have this misconception, this illusion that we are only we only cling to things that are pleasant. 
But the reality is, is even if I am so attuned and so selective that all I do is cling to the beautiful and pleasant things, because of impermanence, they change too. So the only safeguard I have is to love you whether you love me or not. To wish you well whether you're wishing me well or not. To want the best for you whether you're wishing for the best for me or not. When I live my life that way, when I practice that way with everybody, I never lose. Never. Because no matter which side they choose to be on, I'm still in a state of peace and harmony and love for them and wishing them well. So he said, practice loving kindness, it wasn't specific words? No. That was a specific word. Because what, what, is, what, is the loving, what is the loving kindness sutta? What is the meta sutta? It's about loving your friends, loving your family, loving your neighbor, loving your mailman, and loving the person who doesn't love you. And when I am loving everyone, I am full of love, and then I am not bothered by anything that I might have perceived as negative because I'm only perceiving love. That's all I'm creating. I'm not creating negativity. You see, I don't even have time when I am practicing metta for the whole world to wish anyone harm. So I, I'm guaranteeing that wherever I might be, no matter who might be there, no matter what their intention is about me, that I am guaranteeing me a peaceful, loving existence in that moment. So that's why it works. That's how it works. It doesn't matter what the other guy's thinking about. Yeah. Uh, just that practice that I had a, a chance to practice when I was in New York uh, three days with my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's 40. She, of course, that I caused her... Uh, you know, difficulty because I left marriage. So I guess I always felt like, okay, I'll do best for, I'll do this, I'll do that. But this time I determined Mm -hmm. to be there that regardless of her negativity or whatever she said and good or bad, I was just going to be, stay calm with myself. Mm And it was very interesting experience because I could see that she's all agitated for I have no idea anymore. She was just, everything seems to be a profession. Everything goes well. And I can see that she could really create a wonderful life, but she's not. But I was just watching, and I was just actually focusing on my own. Mm-hmm. whether I'm judging or whatever, and I determined to be that feel that whole or whatever with peace. Okay. And just amazing. Yeah. Amazingly, because I think that understanding that um, I cannot do anything more than just 
sending love because nothing I can do at this point. And I noticed that she was continuously wanting to get the same reaction that I think at some point I could get upset Mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. She wanted you to feel as bad as she felt. Right, but that I didn't. And And that pisses them off more than I didn't say anything about that either. Because in the past, I, you know, the last spring or something, I may say, but. I didn't add anything, I didn't send any text. I was just thinking, all I can think about was maybe next time I go to New York, maybe I find a hotel instead of mm-hmm. being there. Mm-hmm. But it was just such a experience mm-hmm. of this practice. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was love and kindness too. Yeah. Because you weren't, you, you weren't fleeing from, some people yeah. go to the motel because they're just so fed up with the person being so negative. Right. But you weren't about that. You were saying, gee, I see that I upset them with my presence. Yeah. So the next time I go up, I won't go there. Yeah. I'll let them know I'm in town in case they want to come and visit. Right. But I won't <laughs> go there and disturb them. Yeah. So yeah, I was, that's love. Yeah, so I, I noticed I caught whatever that may be, she must be agitated, my presence, mm-hmm. which is no longer that you know, all this history of whatever. So she's in and out of this okay with it and whatever. But then I noticed that is her practice. And only thing that I can think about is how I do my practice so that I can help her practice. Yeah. So that uh, clarity just really was incredible. That's only came with the you know, that's coming to the Sangha in practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it doesn't you know, the insanity of 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 what we're talking about, this this whole thing is if one person is upset with the other person and then the other person gets upset with that person, then you got two upset people. <laughs> you you don't you don't minimize the situation, you multiply the situation. You know, and and there's lots of things we wouldn't do if we would just think about it first. And we're like, no, well, that's not going to work. Two crazy people in the same place is not going to work. So I won't be crazy. But anyway, that's how it works. And when you, when you have your intention, when you have your mind, your consciousness attached to your intention, which is, I am not going to create any problems this day for myself or for anybody else. I'm going to love everybody, even those who don't love me. I'm going to love them. And when that hole plugged up with love, and you know, I, we will know right away when we've lost out, when we are distracted. And we and we're off our intention because we're no longer loving. Now I'm arguing. Oh wait a minute! I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring that. I apologize. And let me see if I can say this a different way. Well, let me just be quiet if that's okay. But the point is, you shift back into your kindness mode, your loving mode. You feel that hole because you became distracted for a moment because of what they said or what they did, which 
tied into a memory of what they usually do and what they usually say. And you forget sometimes and you react the way you always did. That's unmindfulness. That's, that's losing our mind. Forgetting the promise we made when we woke up that morning. Forgetting our intent. I'm only going here to take love. I'm not going here to spread any dissension. That's all I'm doing. I, I, just, wanna, I just want them to know I love them. Well, how do they know that when I'm screaming at them as loud as they're screaming at me? See, we forget what our intention is. Our meditation trains us to stay with our intention. I intend to be loving today. No matter what other people choose to do in this world, on this day, no matter what they choose to act like, I'm going to be loving. Now, how can I make that easy? I make that easy by understanding what suffering is, and how it occurs, and how I contribute to it, and how I take it away out of the world. And when I realize that, it's always easier to love than to hate. Always. We think it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, what I love about Tai Chi is it teaches me so many things of, about yielding and redirecting. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own practice, I'm, I have the intention of letting go more of the confrontational meeting the energy with what the energy is sending to me and what's touching me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, So how do I continue to soften in those moments when confrontation is being touched or in contact? You do not allow it to infect your mind. Even when somebody's putting their hands on you, even somebody's choking you, got you got the their hands around yeah. your neck, and they're trying to hurt you, kill you. And if you still don't if, stop loving them, and I think that was you. You mentioned if I were to focus on my breath, when someone's hands have a sense of how precious yeah. the breath is. Yeah. Well, what we're talking about now is the preciousness of heart, and that no matter. You see, unless we don't give ourselves any wiggle room. You know, we're, we're always saying, well, I'm going to be loving unless you do this. You know, unless, unless you hurt my granddaughter or unless you right. smack my grandmother. I'm, I'm going to be loving to you. But when you give yourself that excuse, that wiggle room, you're going to find a place to use it. Mm-hmm. The teachings have many suttas that talk about being engaged with people who might want to do you physical harm, even want to kill you. Mm-hmm. And it says, and if you're practicing, even at that time, even when they are doing the most dastardly thing to you, you love them. Mm-hmm. Now, we got a great example of that in the theology of our culture. 
which is Christianity. That mm. when Christ was put on the cross, he wasn't mad at nobody. So it was a clear example of how to walk the walk, how to do it. And my problem was when I was dealing with that theology, I would always say, yeah, well, that's easy for God's son to do. <laughs> you know, but I, I can't do that. Mm. I, I, can't, I can't walk that kind of walk. But I've learned since that time that it's harder to be a loving person in an unloving world. But when you learn how to do it, it's so much more freeing and liberating. Always. You just, you, you absolve yourself from all the idiocy and craziness that people might encounter. Because again, we have no control over other people and what they might choose to do and think about us on a given day. Even people who have said, I love you, and they brought you flowers. You just don't know what they're going to do the next day. But you know what you're going to do the next mm. day, which is to keep loving them. When, you, when I keep loving you, I don't even have to forgive you, do I? Because I don't judge you when I love you. If I judge you when I love you, that's conditional love. We're talking about unconditional love. We're talking about loving you when you're beating on me. And don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you should let people beat on you, but I'm saying that you, should, you shouldn't hate people either. That as you are climbing in a cab or calling 911, you should do it with love, not with anger. Mm. That's all I'm talking about. You don't have to late, you don't have to hate to get the job done. Okay. So let's um, fill that hole up. We got let's let's take ten minutes and fill that hole up. We can fill it up with love, we can fill it up with compassion, we can fill it up with altruism. And one of the biggest things I think is learning how to work with equanimity. The one thing I thought about when I was doing my uh, meta meditation just now was that the first person you give love to in the Metta Sutta is yourself. And when you do that, you no longer have any complaint about anyone who doesn't give you love because you've already got love. You know, you, you, you've um, experienced the power beyond joy. The fact that I don't have to wait for anyone else to love me. I can give love to myself. That's a very powerful thing to know. Because you no longer have any complaints with anybody. Because it doesn't matter whether you give me love or not. I've already got it. Thank, Thank all of you for being here and your support. And uh, please be mindful of practicing this this week. Uh, there'll be a test. <laughs> <laughs> always a test. Always a test. So, thank you so much. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.